So today we have uh, Rafi Jagadishan, who is at the um, University of Minnesota. Rafi has an Editor's Choice article, his first author on an Editor's Choice article, published in the April edition of JNIS. The title of the article is Size and Anatomical Location of Ruptured Intracranial Aneurysms in Patients with Single and Multiple Aneurysms, a Retrospective Study from a single center. Uh, Bharati, thanks. I really appreciate you talking uh, to me today. Uh, can you maybe discuss a little bit about the design of your study and, and uh, briefly summarize the results for me? Sure. So this was a retrospective study that we performed uh, out of the patients who presented with subarachnoid hemorrhage over a period of five years at the Washington University in St. Louis. I did my fellowship there. Okay. And uh, Essentially, we maintain a database of uh, all the uh, endovascular procedures that are performed at WashU. We maintain it prospectively, and then we went back and studied the um, size of the ruptured aneurysms uh, over a five-year period. Uh, the aim of our study was, one, to see if there's a relationship between the size and rupture, which other authors have seen before. The other aim of our study was to see whether there was any difference in the sizes at which aneurysms rupture between patients who present with a single aneurysm and patients who have multiple aneurysms. Mm -hmm. We also wanted to see if the distribution of the ruptured aneurysms in terms of their size uh, around the circle of villus differed from the distribution of unruptured aneurysms. We all know that the posterior circulation aneurysms have a higher risk of rupture when you take unruptured aneurysms versus anterior circulation aneurysms. And uh, there's been the uh, ISUIA study which showed that aneurysms more than 7 millimeters in size in the anterior circulation are at higher risk. But it's also common knowledge that a lot of the aneurysms which present to us after rupture are smaller than 7 millimeters. But we wanted to see if the majority of these small aneurysms are in the posterior circulation, as the ISUIA study suggests, or are they all over the place? Are they also in the anterior circulation and other regions which theoretically have a lower risk for rupture? And so what did you find as far as that distribution goes? So we found some uh, interesting results. One, we found that with regard to the size of the aneurysm, and this has been reported before by others, that the majority of aneurysms which ruptured were actually less than 7 millimeters in size. About 77% were less than 7 millimeters in size. And of those, about a third, 30.5%, were even smaller. They were less than 3 millimeters in size. And we found that the small ruptured aneurysms were not all located in the posterior circulation a good number of them were located in the anterior circulation. We broke down the incidence of aneurysms less than 3 millimeters, aneurysms between 3 and 7 millimeters, and aneurysms more than 7 millimeters for each site at the circle of wellness. And really, the only regions where aneurysms more than 7 millimeters constitute even a third of the ruptured aneurysms are the terminal ICA, not including the PCOM, and the PCOM and MCA. 
the the rest of the sites uh, the periculosal region the anterior communicating artery uh, everywhere else the uh, aneurysms more than 7 mm did not constitute even a third of the ruptured aneurysms that's interesting and so how do you reconcile your findings with um prospective studies such as ISHUA? ISHUA has been around for a while and uh, we cannot discount its findings entirely, but there are problems with ISHUA which others have pointed out. Uh, one, it was an observational study. It was not a true randomized control trial. Mm-hmm. Two, in ISHUA, only aneurysms which were thought to be of lower risk for rupture were even followed. The other people underwent treatment. And the four-year follow-up rate for ISHUA patients is only 22%. It's also hard to determine from that data as to what the annual risk is exactly for each aneurysm. Uh, For instance, if we take that 100 patients were followed for four years, do we truly treat treat that as 400 person years? I mean, what if you then followed 400 patients for one year and nobody ruptured? So there there are significant problems with issuer data, but we also know that a majority of the unruptured aneurysms from our own clinical practices, and you, you, Dr. have much more experience than me, that a majority of unruptured aneurysms, which are, you know, less than 7 millimeters in the ICA, especially if they're 4 or 5 millimeters, we've, we've all followed them out, and they don't seem to rupture. I think the only way to reconcile these conflicting pieces of evidence is to assume that there are two distinct populations of aneurysms, those that grow slowly or do not grow at all, which are at very low risk for rupture, and those that grow rapidly, which are at higher risk for rupture. The fallacy is that we are trying to distinguish between these two populations using size, and I do not think that we should try to distinguish between these two populations using size. You know, of course, there are other risk factors like smoking, hypertension, previous subarachnoid hemorrhage, all these. But I'm not sure that we have an entire list of risk factors that we understand yet. If we try to do a multivariate analysis, the numbers of patients that would fall into each subgroup are so low that it's impossible to arrive at any meaningful conclusion. Perhaps one way to do it would be to identify biomarkers for aneurysm rupture um, that add to the existing data on size and history of smoking. I really think that the focus should be on identifying and differentiating between these two subgroups. I totally agree with you. Did you find a location that had a predominance of um, smaller aneurysms? Definitely. I mean, for instance, 62.5% of our periculosal aneurysms were less than 3 millimeters in size when they ruptured. And 67% of pica aneurysms were less than 3 millimeters. 36% 36% of ACOMs were less than 3 millimeters. So perhaps there's a relationship to parent vessel diameter. That's that's one possibility because um, the numbers are a little lower for ICA and MCA aneurysms. There could be a relationship between parent vessel diameter, and it's not a new finding. I mean, others have found this. Uh, so clearly there was, a, there was a big difference in the um, incidence of very small aneurysms less than 3 millimeters between areas like the periculosal region and areas like the ICA terminus. Okay. And I found it interesting that in your cohort with um, multiple aneurysms, not infrequently 
uh, it was not the largest aneurysm that ruptured, which sort of goes uh, against the grain of classical teaching and, um, you know, but points out the fact that, that uh, as you just said, that uh, size may not be the most important characteristic to analyze. That, to my mind, is the most significant finding of our study. We found about in about 10% of patients with multiple aneurysms, it was not the largest aneurysm which ruptured. You know, granted that a 7-millimeter ACOM doesn't have the same risk as a 7-millimeter top of basilar aneurysm. In classical thinking, like we can say that, oh, you know, a 5-millimeter MCA has much lower risk of rupture than a 7-millimeter top of basilar. But what we found that was that even if you take size and perhaps even location, like the illustrative case that we have there, we have a pericalosal and an ACOM aneurysm, which are both larger than the small left MCA aneurysm, which ruptured in this patient. What is interesting about these patients with multiple aneurysms is that the unruptured aneurysms serve as internal controls for the ruptured aneurysm. So each aneurysm in this patient, in these patients, is subjected to the same environmental risk factors such as smoking. It's subjected to the same genetic risk factors, you know, family history of subarachnoid hemorrhage. But still, only one of these ruptures, and it's often not the largest, or at least in 10%, it's not the largest aneurysm. What this really suggests to us is that there's a big role played by hemodynamic factors, because the only thing that differs between these individual aneurysms in a patient with multiple aneurysms is the hemodynamic stress on these aneurysms. By studying these patients with multiple aneurysms and modeling them, you know, either with computer simulation or perhaps even with in vivo, you know, phase contrast studies uh, and so on and so forth, we can determine which hemodynamic factors exactly are more responsible for causing an aneurysm to rupture, which then gives us an additional biomarker. I mean, it could be things like the uh, aspect ratio. Uh, it could be the angle of bifurcation of the vessels when, when there's an aneurysm or a bifurcation. It could be the relationship of the size of the aneurysm to the parent vessel. We did not do it in this study because, you know, out of 98 patients, nine, in nine patients, it was not the largest aneurysm which ruptured. So the numbers are very small. So it doesn't make sense to try and tease out these factors based on such small numbers. But if this could be a multi-center study over the next few years or even some retrospective component where we all go back and see in every center how many patients with multiple aneurysms did we have with subarachnoid hemorrhage and in how many of them was the largest aneurysm responsible for subarachnoid hemorrhage and in how many was the um, second largest or the third largest responsible for subarachnoid hemorrhage. And if we pull the data from all these patients and we did biophysical modeling, that might give us a really good um, idea about which hemodynamic factors are responsible for aneurysm rupture, which then, that, that data can then be used by us to counsel patients. We can then say, you know, yes, your aneurysm is less than seven millimeters, but based on the anatomy of your parent vessel and the bifurcation angle at which the branches are coming off, we think you're at slightly higher risk or we think you're fine. I think that would give us an additional imaging biomarker that I think is more easily in our grasp than a lot of other biomarkers. 
this can be done maybe through SNIS. We can just retrospectively do it in all centers which are willing to participate. Yeah, it sounds like a great idea, and I, I think it would uh, certainly yield important results. So the results of your study, ha has it changed your clinical practice and how you deal with the, uh, either ruptured or unruptured aneurysms? It has certainly changed um, our my clinical practice since I finished fellowship and and uh, looked at these results. One, we are extra careful now to look for additional aneurysms uh, in patients who just have a CTA, and we are we are more wary of rushing into the OR uh, or the angiosuite based on just CTA because the very small aneurysms, less than three millimeters can sometimes be missed by CTA, especially if they're near the skull base. So I, I insist that everybody gets an angiogram, a full four-vessel angiogram, before they, they go in for treatment. In the case of ruptured aneurysms. In the case of uh, unruptured aneurysms, um, I'm much more proactive in uh, offering treatment to unruptured aneurysms, which are in the pericalosal region, or arising off the uh, pica than I was before. Uh, again, of course, within reason, if the patient is 80 years old and they have a pericalosal aneurysm, which is three millimeters, we're not going to treat it. But if the patient is young, you know, in their 50s maybe, and they have a four millimeter pericalosal or a four millimeter pica aneurysm, or even a six millimeter ACOM, I think I'm more comfortable offering them treatment now than I would have been in the past. Um, I, I do think that these patients uh, should be referred for treatment, and as long as their anatomy is reasonable and their other comorbidities are low, I believe now that they'll derive a benefit from getting treated. Well, that makes sense. Barathi, I, I really appreciate you speaking to me. I mean, and congratulations, um, you know, it's an excellent uh, manuscript that you submitted, and I think it will be of use you know, for planning future research uh, on the topic, and even as you just expanded on, I think it will probably alter clinical practice uh, as it is. Thank you very much um, for spending time with me today. Thank you, sir. And I want to thank all my co-authors, especially um, my teachers from WashU, too.